The glasses have hit and here we are. It is the United Pubcast and it's your co-host Larry with you. And as always, I've got my fellow co-host Tom. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good after watching that um, famous European night at Old Trafford against uh, European Giants Lask. Oh, what a memorable game. Seriously. I mean, it was like unbelievable. It's the sort of game that you just don't want to rewatch it because you don't want it to erase the magical feelings it gives you when you watch it live. If you can't tell, I am being sarcastic. It was probably the most boring game of football I've watched in the last six months. But nonetheless, it is it means that United do progress into the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Tom, um, we've beaten Lask, and boy, we didn't make easy work of it. Um, let's go straight into the starting eleven. Stronger than you expected? Look, stronger than I expected. Look, it's a completely weak inside, except for Harry Maguire's completely rotated, and it's all the uh, second string players or players on the fringe. However, I wouldn't say it's a weak side. I think I was just expecting more of the young players. Maybe uh, Ethan Laird or Jimmy Garner, or obviously Ted and Mengi came on at the end. So once I was a particularly stronger eleven than I expected, I expected a heavily rotated team, which it was. Um, it's just a shame that um, obviously some of the young kids didn't get uh, more minutes than we anticipated. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a little disappointing, but you know what? If you consider what Ollie had been saying in the lead up to the game, we want to win it. We want to win it. It's a trophy. We need to win it. It's important for this group to get that winning feeling, etc. There was always that feeling in the back of your head where you thought, okay. Maybe he is going to go stronger than you expected, but you got to think. Like I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but don't you think that's a maybe some managerial naivety by Oli? Just thinking that you know it's obviously not a regular end of the season into the next season. It's quite a short window. Well, while while I wouldn't have picked that eleven, I would have sort of as you said, Ethan Laird, Jimmy Garner, Ted Mengi. I would have played players like that. I'm not criticising Solskjaer at all because now we're thinking of this Europa League as the latter stages where we're going to have two legs. We don't have those. We're two wins. We're two games away from a European final now. It's such a short sort of little mini tournament. So I think his reasoning for going for the so-called stronger or strongish eleven is the players like Mata, like Lingard, like Fred and McTominay. If something happens to one of the first team players at training or in the quarterfinal those players now have a few minutes under their belt where I think that's the main reason. I don't think it was a strong 11 for the reason to try and make sure we win the game. We're always going to win the game. I think the strong 11 was out there to make sure those second string players do have a couple of minutes under their belt just in case we do need to call upon them in the um, latter stages of the tournament. Speaking of a stronger 11 and the debate of squad rotation... We've kind of touched on this in the last few episodes towards the end of the Premier League season, but boy, it was clear today, wasn't it, that there is clearly a big drop-off to what we consider Oli's strongest eleven to what started today, didn't we? No, oh, it's night and day, um, all across the field. I think, I suppose some people made the case the goalkeeper situation is probably not as big a drop-off, but I think De Gea potentially does probably come in um, over Romero, even though Romero has been the Europa League goalkeeper. But yeah, from back to front, there's a definite drop-off. Um, it's clear, and I remember a couple of weeks ago I said, we don't need to improve the squad depth. We need to improve the strongest 11, I think, or the first 11. I think if we have a stronger first 11, that's what wins you a title these days. And looking back, I think that, that was maybe a little bit naive and not looking at the big picture. But I think by doing that, by bringing in a Jaden Sancho, which we'll get into later, and improving the strongest 11, that'll then improve the squad depth because that'll then put Marcus Rashford on the bench instead of whoever's coming off the bench at the moment. 
So I think that by improving that first 11, the players currently in our first 11 will then drop to the bench and then suddenly we have a lot more squad depth. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Tom clearly has shown you between Martial, Greenwood and Marcus Rashford, who he's putting on the bench once Jadon Sancho is confirmed. But we will get into that. Tom, let's go straight into the three two ones because, let's face it, I'm definitely not reliving that performance, but we can relive who our best players were. Who well, was your man of the... Bef- yeah, sorry. Well, before we go into the three two ones, the goal from Lask. Hats oh, it's cracker. Because yeah. uh, that type of goal, if it was rolling towards him on the floor, that type of technique, you'd say, fantastic goal curled into the top corner. But this wasn't just rolling. This was bouncing at a really awkward height, just... When that ball's bouncing towards you there, you can hit it with your laces with a bit of outswing. To hit it, to to curl it in towards the goal, it's such a difficult technique, and it's one of the best goals you'll see. I thought, hats off to the guy. Oh, no, absolutely. Problem is, I don't know who he's, what his name is, and if he has a wife, I'm sure when someone asks him what was the greatest day of your life, you'd expect him to say his wedding, but he's going to be like, that night I scored at Old Trafford. Good for him. It was an unbelievable strike. Unfortunately... Well, I, saw when the, I saw when the coach, um, they showed a replay of when the goal went in. The coach celebrated like, hang on, we're in this tie now. Let's, let's go, throw a striker on. Let's go get a few more goals. He probably didn't dream of getting a goal against United, so good for him. After he just watched the 5-0 drubbing five months ago... I'm happy for them. Um, yeah, time three, two, ones. Who was your man of the match for your Manchester United? Weirdly, I think, and I think you might agree with me. I think Jesse Lingard probably has a very good shout. Um, obviously, got the goal, but I thought he played well as well. I'm with you. I thought he was really good. Um, some link up play. He gave gave was it a goal? He's, he gave a few chances. I just I thought he he looked a lot more positive today. He wasn't recklessly giving the ball away great finish um with the goal i thought it was quite lively i thought he um dribbled well and to be honest he showed glimpses of the lingard we saw under van halen Mourinho. and i want to ask you before we move on to the remaining two and one points uh the way he came off do you read into that because for me it was quite aggressive and considering the sort of player he is and the way he normally carries himself, I'm wondering, was that a sign that maybe it was his last appearance at Old Trafford? Yeah, a lot was made of that and sort of the drawing the comparisons thing. Okay, does he know deep down that that's the last time he's going to play at Old Trafford? And at the time of watching it, I didn't really think that. I thought it was just maybe a case of a player's pissed off that he's been substituted because of the type of game, obviously, after also getting a goal. He could probably maybe sense another goal or two for him or at least another couple of opportunities. So I personally just saw it as a bit of frustration of coming off in what was a relatively comfortable and easy game where any attacking player doesn't want to come off because you always feel you're going to get a chance. So, but just my personal opinion at the time was no, but looking back at it, maybe there is something in it. And we've obviously discussed his future at length and I think we'll continue to do so. But... um. Look, he scored in his last two games, so fair play to him, whatever happens, but um, it's definitely an interesting one. Yeah, we will see. I'm sure that story will develop. Who gets the two points this week? Do I get the honours? Please, go go for it. Oh, you're going to love me on this one. I, I, I saw him being criticised. I thought Juan Mata was actually quite good. Oh, fantastic. I love you even more, mate, because he got so much stick, especially, and then the first half he wasn't great. But who was? Everyone was quite poor in the first half. But he got moved centrally right at the start of the second half. And things just clicked. And I thought, oh, look, he wasn't sort of... We've had this debate in the last couple of weeks. He wasn't prime one matter. But he made things tick. And he was just doing things that... He was just 
it looks so simple, but other players don't even get in the position to do that something simple. So I thought he's very good. And at the end of the day, if you get two assists, do we win that game without those two assists? Like, who plays that ball for Jesse Lingard? Well, I don't see Fred doing that. McTominay's not playing that around the corner. And in terms of his link-up play with Martial for the second goal, that's fantastic. That's world-class ability from both players. I thought they were both on the same wavelength. I'm with you, and look, to be honest, in these games where you're going to dominate possession, I'd love to see one Mata utilise more. If I'm, you know, I just think he is a quality footballer. Yes, he doesn't have the legs, I think, against those more high-intensity Premier League games. Maybe he's, you know, he's not the man you want in there. But if you need to rotate the squad and, you know, if it's, let's say it's Premier League, you're in the Christmas period and you're going to verse Aston Villa at home, I'd chuck one Mata in at the number 10 role. And that's another key point. I think once he moved centrally in that game, he looked a lot better. We need to stop playing him on the edge. We all know his, his, his strongest feat is not his pace. But what he does have is a sharp mind. And that's where he is quicker than most players. Um, on the one point, I'll give it to you. So I hope you've returned the generosity. Well, I think just there, in terms of talking about that last goal, and not so much the goal from Martial, but and nothing to do with his performance. But I want to get maybe your opinion. So obviously, given the one point, Anthony Martial, I don't think anyone over the 90 minutes really did enough to sort of beat him to that one point. But he's almost, I'd call it, say, relationship with Solskjaer in terms of there seems to be quite a connection there. Sort of, we've just talked about Lingard coming off and being a bit grumpy. Where Martial, we've obviously in recent seasons talked about his mood, but he's always in a good mood around Solskjaer, whether he's coming um, off the bench and onto the field or he's been substituted off. He's always always sort of first to shake hands with each other and have a bit of a joke after the game. And Solskjaer almost, you could see when he was warming up or, or his number was going up on the board, it was almost as simple as, OK, can you go on the field there? Can you go stand there and please score us a goal? And Martial was like, OK, I'll go do that. And then obviously scored the goal, pointed to Solskjaer. And I just think things are starting to click. And if things click well with Anthony Martial, you'll know better than anyone. When things happen, when he's in a good mood and things are sort of fallen in his favour, which they currently are. We've got a hell of a player. I think what Oli's done well compared to what Mourinho didn't do is, you can see it, Martial's clearly a confidence player. And I know that sounds stupid, you know, if you're playing well, you're confident. But no, some players don't, don't dip as badly or, you know, the gap between their best and their worst game, you know, doesn't change too much. I look at Wayne Rooney as an example. When he was out of form, there was never any doubt that he'd return to form. Thing with Martial, he's the sort of character who needs a cuddle. But what Oli's done really well is he's challenged him. And he's rewarded those good performances. There were times last season, if you can think back, we're now talking, you know, nearly 18 months ago. Martial was barely seen in the first team when United's results were dipping off. He's since given him back the number nine shirt and challenged him to return his best goal tally. And he's done that. Every time he comes on, if you think of Project Restart, he's returned with an unbelievable goal return. And his link-up play has improved out of sight. His game is coming on leaps and bounds, and I put that down to the manager for constantly challenging him, but also putting an arm around him when it's needed. So credit to Oli there, and obviously credit to the Frenchman. I think he's in an unreal amount of form. And Tom, we discussed this. I think next season... Martial, the goal for me, in my opinion, should be 30 goals. He's, he's set the catalyst for a really top season. Yeah, he's... Well, how many goals is he on now? He's 20... It's 24 now for the season. 24, so... And, and you haven't... Well, 
discussed it earlier today. He's obviously hasn't been on penalties this season, so you could potentially add another four or five goals um, over the season. He's spent a big chunk, well, not a big chunk, but he's spent a decent chunk of it injured from memory towards the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nearly two months. So, look, a lot of strikers have been linked. I saw Paul Scholes mention Harry Kane before the game. I don't think that's um, ever going to happen. Raul Jimenez has been linked in recent weeks, and I, I'm a huge fan of him, and I think he's, while Martial is fantastic and doing well for, for Solskjaer, I think Solskjaer has that... I'm, I'm not saying Martial's not a traditional number nine, but I think Solskjaer, in the back of his mind, does sort of hold hope for that traditional number nine, which I think Jimenez is, um, or er, Erling Haaland sort of type player. So... Uh, but I just think what the squad needs at the moment isn't another striker. I think we do need that attacking player out wide like a Jaden Sancho, which we'll get into, and definitely another centre-back. But um, long may continue, because when he is playing like this, and we have to feel, while he has been here a while, he's still a young player, especially in terms of football and experience. So as long as he's developing, um, what he's producing at the moment is well worth um, his position as our start number nine. Yeah, 25 in December, Anthony Martial. If they allow us to fly to Manchester, I will definitely get you a cake and some creme brulees, my friend. Uh, Tom, speaking of attacking players on the outs, uh, just before we've started recording, it has been confirmed Alexis Sanchez is leaving Manchester United on a free transfer with two years to run on his contract. But that tells you United were desperate to get rid of him. Your thoughts on his time at United? Look, where do you start? I think you go back to when he was playing the piano. We're all excited, all having sort of banter with Arsenal fans and loving it. We've signed their best player. And he was obviously a fantastic player. We all knew deep down, though, it was just stupid signing. No no one admitted it. You didn't want to admit it to your mates or anyone, or especially online. But you knew it just made no sense. He was obviously so heavily linked with City. City obviously pulled out. United currently had the cash. United could get him. And obviously Anthony Martial was playing on the left at that time under Jose Mourinho and doing very well. And suddenly Alexis Sanchez came in on the left. Now, I don't want to accuse him of suddenly having 350, 400k a week in his bank account and not trying. I don't think that was the case. I, I can't put my finger on what happened in regards to his performances. It just didn't work. I'm sure there is a reason. I just don't know what it is. But his time at United was just woeful, just from a professional footballing point of view. He was just poor in terms of everything he did. How many goals? He only got a handful of goals. Four, I think, yeah. So, look, in terms of moments, look, besides the piano, which was obviously his best performance, <laughs> you're looking at maybe... He obviously got that important winner against um, Newcastle where Mourinho was close to losing his job. I think if we were to go on and win the FA Cup under Jose Mourinho, we'd remember his semi-final goal a little bit more... Um, Fondly against Tottenham, um, but obviously you don't go on to win the final. You don't remember what happens in the semi-final. Other than that, did he do anything? He turned up against City once for for forty-five minutes. I think he scored away at Arsenal. But other than that, like you, you don't want to harp back on the money spent or in terms of his wage. But it almost always has to come back to that. It was just a disaster from start to finish. Yeah, it, I mean, it does have to come back to that because when you play a player that much, it's saying that you're going to be. Well, basically, we're putting all our faith in you to really make the difference here. Um, I think there's a few reasons why it didn't work out. I think it was a square peg in a round hole, just how United play. I mean, to be honest, under Mourinho, we really didn't have a style or an identity. 
I think he occupied the same space that Pogba wanted to drift into, and that was an issue. And I honestly just think he's lost a yard of pace. We've seen him recently come out and said he's you know changed his diet up and cha- uh, the way he's training with Lukaku. He should have been making those differences when you're at United. But nonetheless, I wish him well. It was definitely a bad deal, but I think it's one that all parties can agree it has come to the right outcome. Uh, Tom, let's talk about who could potentially be his replacement. Um, Jadon Sancho. Um, as of recording, uh, the report suggests that a transfer of 110 million euros has been agreed in principle. But what is yet to be agreed is the structure of how that will be paid by United. Um, from what I understand, it is meant to be around 80 million euros up front, and then uh, the remaining amount would be in add ons. Ed Woodward, he loves to put a Ballon d'Or clause in there, doesn't he? Um, what do you make of the deal? Do you expect it to happen? And maybe an obvious question, is he a natural fit for the number seven shirt? Well, in terms of the deal, I remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, I was saying Jack Grealish was the far more likely deal to be done. Um, but obviously, it definitely looks like Jaden Sancho at the moment. And from all reports, it does look like it's going to happen. A lot of the Manchester-based journalists are saying United may be a little bit hesitant and ready to walk away. I think that's maybe a little bit of a brief just to maybe hurry up Dortmund because I remember the same thing happened with the Manchester journalists a couple of days before Juan Bissaka, a couple of days before Bruno, a couple of days before Maguire. So I think that's quite standard practice by United. In terms of the structure of the deal, I think it's hard. We have to consider, well, not consider, we have to accept the current climate we're living in in a post-COVID or current COVID world in terms of the transfer fee. If it was just 110 million, you'd think, okay, United can go do that probably. We spent 80 million back in 2016 sort of thing, so 100 million now is fine. But 100 million cash now is quite hard to find for United. I don't think they can just go out and do that. So a lot of it will come down to the structure of the deal and we can sit here and argue on United's side of the fence. However, Dortmund are in a similar situation as well. They, they need cash. They're not getting fans through the door either. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm with you. I think we expect the deal to happen. It's a matter of when and not if. Personal terms look like they're agreed. Um, look, I think he'll... I think, you know, should he come in, I think he's a perfect fit for that number seven shirt. And to be honest, Tom, just the prospect of our attack then, I mean, you'd think it'll be Sancho, Martial... Rashford, and then you have Greenwood somewhere in there. Like, that's exciting. And then behind them, you've got Bruno and Pogba. It's a really exciting proposition. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, as soon as that shirt comes out, I'm buying it. So, Well, on the seven shirt, issue. in terms of, do you, do you see that as, a, as an issue or it's a non-issue? Because it, it shouldn't be an issue. However, look how much of a shitstorm it has caused in the past. I think he'll want it. I think he'll want it. He he seems like a player who's got that arrogance about him when he plays, and I mean that in a complimentary way. You know, anyone with that number seven shirt, you need to play with a certain swagger. And, you know, if you look at the players who have worn it in the past, I think there's reasons to say why it didn't work out. You gave it to a broken-down Michael Owen who was, well, had a ravishing injury record before we signed him. So that that was always not going to end well. You then gave it to Antonio Valencia, who is a solid footballer, but not a prolific goal scorer or a well-rounded winger. So I just don't think that that was the perfect fit. And then you look after that, and how Di Maria started well, and then he had personal issues, and then showed that, you know, he's got no underbelly. And then beyond that, you've had Sanchez, who... Oh, well, you've had Memphis, 
you know, a misfit young kid coming into the Premier League. And then finally you had Sanchez, who at 29, just again under Mourinho, no system, not a, not a system that was made to accommodate him, rather. So I feel like with every case you can, you know, make a, make a situation to say why it didn't work. I feel like this one's the perfect fit at the perfect time. He's a young player coming into it so he can grow into the jersey. So I think, I think it'll be a natural fit for him. Well, I saw a case, and I definitely don't agree with this, but I think it's interesting and sort of to look at it from a different point of view. Look, we're all very excited about Jaden Sancho potentially arriving, but you look at that for $100 million. For a kid who hasn't played in the Premier League, I don't know, did he ever come off the bench for Man City? Oh, I'm not quite nope. sure he did. No, he maybe, didn't. Maybe in a cup game or something. But he's never played in the Premiership. £100 million. Pound. Okay, he might be fantastic, and he very well should be fantastic for United. He could flop. You, you never know. And I'm just thinking there's the case where, and I'm definitely not saying this is what we should do, but it's an interesting point of view. You look at William going to Arsenal for free. For there's I don't know these thirty one thirty two. However, he's proven in the Premier League and it's free. What should be the better business? Like, is this too big a risk, or is it? Because every transfer in football is going to be a risk. This is a big one. This is a hundred million for a kid. I get that point, and look honestly, I would take Willian, but not in place of Sancho. I'd take that. I'd take that with Sancho. Um, I don't think there's a lot of risk on this one. Like the only risk is he's going to be good. I think the only risk is maybe he doesn't turn out to be the footballer that, you know, you're not... Because when you're paying that much, you know, that's money that you'd normally pay for the end article. At the end of the day, he hasn't... He's 20 years of age. He can only get better. So you'd like to think that should he spend 10 years of his career at Manchester United, we've made that our money. But in saying that, with his age, there will be some resale value. Granted, if it doesn't work out, you're not going to sell him for the same money you got him at. But... I feel like it's a deal that has more upside from United's perspective. And to be honest, they'll make the money back on jersey sales alone. Well, well, I think the marketing point of view from, I think, him and Rashford, or you could potentially see a future England front three, Rashford, Greenwood and Sancho. And I think United have moved past sort of that sort of marketing aspect of transfers in terms of who sort of making decisions on players based on their marketability. I think the club have... And I think a lot of it is down to Solskjaer. But I think the club have moved on from that. However, I think this is a case of the club can't ignore it, what the potential is to have Greenwood, um, Sancho and Rashford as United's front three. And people talk about Brexit FC. I actually, I'm not, I'm not actually being sarcastic here. I think there is a view from United to say we need to get a high level of um, British players in because we don't know still how Brexit will impact the Premier League and the quota for how many you know British players you need to have. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Um, Tom, any with regards to the rest of the transfer window, the only really sort of other links we've seen with United is uh, Gabriel the. Um, Brazilian centre-half um, playing for Lille at the moment. If I'm being honest, I haven't seen a lot of him. Um, I've just, you know, done my scouting via YouTube. Looks a physical player. Decent pace. I wouldn't say he's rapid. Um, good at the, good with the ball at his feet. Left-footed. Um, do you think that that's the sort of signing we need? Look, we definitely need a centre-back, but I don't know who that centre-back is. Um, obviously, Nathan Ake has gone to City, which I did like him, but even Nathan Ake probably wasn't the greatest fit for United in terms of what we do need. But, um, yeah, I've seen that Gabriel again. I've seen my seven-minute compilation on YouTube of him. He looks, I'd say, look, it's a YouTube compilation. He looks good. From what my hunch from watching that is he sort of looks like an, sort of an accomplished Eric Bailly. I think he looks very sort of all-action and very physical, um, maybe a little bit better on the ball. 
I'm not sure how much sort of weight I put on these rumours of United wanting a left-sided centre-back or a left-footed centre-back. Um, I'm sure if that's the case and they do want one, that's a definite sort of scouting point they will look at. But I don't think it's sort of a, sort of nailed on that it has to be a left-footed centre-back. So I think that's interesting to keep an eye out for. Other than that, though, I, we do need a centre-back. I just don't know which one it is because who, who out there... Sort of which players are out there because... Okay, this is Gabriel, but he very well might go to Napoli or Arsenal he's linked with, even Everton. I think United could very well just be a case of using United to get his name out there. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, I'd really like us to get an established centre-half, but if I'm being honest, if you look in the world, how many of those are there? Like, how many centre-halves could you say come into this United side and are one of the best in the world? There's Rafael Varane, there's Sergio Ramos. They're both at the same club. Um, outside of that, you've got uh, Virgil van Dijk. He's definitely not coming to United. There's not any... I mean, you could make a David Alabab. He's got one year left on his deal after this one with Bayern. Maybe that's someone that I wouldn't mind United targeting. But does he have that aggression for the Premier League? Again, I don't know. Well, so there's not many to... out there. What I've said in previous weeks, and a lot of people disagree, and I can understand why people aren't for it, but I think given this... Well, we definitely have a need to bring a centre-back in. However, you just listed all these names, and there's no one that springs out, sort of jumps to mind. I think Chris Smalling, if worse comes to worse, he's back at the club now. I think well, we could definitely do worse than him because he knows the Premier League, he's proven, he's experienced, he's sort of he's got the, the right attributes. He maybe not be... He's not sort of too pleasing on the eye or that efficient with his attributes but he definitely has them so there's something about him and I just think look we definitely do need to improve centre back and if we do need to go out and invest however if we can't if the Jaden Sancho if we're going to spend 100 million after this pandemic or during this pandemic that's going to take a huge chunk out of the transfer budget I don't care what anyone says that's going to really hit the club hard maybe we can't sign anyone else and we can't find that sort of centre back we desperately need and I think we sort of do have to consider the option of Chris Smalling being um, the only arrival at the back. Well, it's just one we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, I'm sure we'll hear some news about him in the coming weeks as well. Uh, Tom, I think that's a good place to leave the podcast. Anything to add before we wrap up? No, I'm just trying to think. When's the next game? I think it's Monday or, t- or Tuesday morning Sydney time, I think, against Copenhagen. Uh, you might be right. I actually have no idea. So, yeah, you can tell that we are seasoned professionals on this podcast. But if I have a quick look, yes, it will be Tuesday morning um, Australian time against Copenhagen. So the games are coming quick and fast. Um, I expect a stronger starting eleven, maybe uh, not quite the strongest. Well, no, I think now he's in a position where he plays his strongest eleven. It's three games. Um, I think whoever plays in the, look, let's hope we win the three games. We very well could go out to Copenhagen. But I think best case scenario, we do win the three games with our strongest eleven. I think, look, it's going to be a shame that they won't have a pre-season, but I think you just send them on a four-week holiday until the season starts. And again, we can cross that hurdle that it's not ideal preparation. We can cross that hurdle a couple of weeks into next season. However, I think he just definitely has to go to his strongest 11 because we definitely did see the drop-off. And now we had the comfort of being 5-0 up against Lask. The, after five minutes against Copenhagen, it's still nil all. Um, it's, it's suddenly very real. We don't have that comfort to fall back on. So I think he definitely does go for it. Yeah, I'm with you. And look, at the end of the day, you're in it to win it. So we might as well go with everything we've got. 
And it's time for us to put the drinks down on that note and leave the pub. We will join you again next Tuesday to hopefully review Manchester United's progression against Copenhagen. And who knows, maybe we'll face Alexis Sanchez and Romelu Lukaku in the final of the Europa League. Wouldn't that be something? I've been Larry, that's been Tom, and we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.